0: Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. I do want to say a couple of things before we get started. And we had decided to devote most of this monthly seminar to answering questions. So I won't, I'm not going to give like a long introduction, but it's noteworthy that the U.S. government in its effort to isolate Russia, weaken Russia, destroy Russia, topple the government in Russia, is compelled because of the oil and gas embargoes and sanctions. And those sanctions are going to deepen where Russian oil won't be Able to set sail on any international shipping because all international shipping will be denied insurance if they take transport of any type from Russia. So there's going to be an additional shortage and shortages or pressures, supply pressures for oil and gas and other petroleum products. So Biden's off to Saudi Arabia, you know, in his great quest for freedom and against autocracy reaching out to um, MBS and the Saudi royal family once again to make sure that they, they keep the, the production at a higher level. So you see the Biden administration is going overtime to repair any earlier sort of schism between the US and the Saudi royal family. It says so much about their much touted concern and embrace for democracy and the needs for democracy as if The struggle between the U.S. and NATO and Russia is a struggle between the world's democracies and the autocracies. The other thing that I wanted to mention, and you probably saw it or heard it or you will, but we were very happy to have John Bellamy Foster, the editor of Monthly Review magazine, where we were able to have a really, I think, important discussion about what U.S. strategy is towards Russia and towards the world. And of course, the emphasis being on the US preparing for nuclear war and preparing to win a nuclear war and making it clear that the US can win a nuclear war, which even if the US doesn't engage in a nuclear war becomes a major way of threatening other countries. So if the US engages in a land air war at some point in the South or East China Sea with China, which it's obviously preparing for. The idea would be that the US can contain China and limit the conflict to the periphery of China, because if the Chinese dared to escalate, the US has the capacity to win a nuclear war. So nuclear primacy, the development of counterforce weapons, all of it designed to really go back to where the US was in the late 1940s, where, a big premise of U.S. foreign policy calculations was based on so-called nuclear diplomacy or nuclear war fighting, such that when the U.S. couldn't defeat the North Koreans, the combination of the North Koreans and the Chinese in the Korean War, and the U.S. wanted to end the war end the military conflict, and the North Koreans were 100% determined to keep fighting. The North Koreans were prepared to fight for decades. I mean, they had been fighting for decades already against Japanese colonialism. Peace was not the top priority. For them, the liberation of the Korean Peninsula was the top priority. And in May 1953, the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff unanimously agreed that they would start dropping nuclear bombs on cities all over China and, of course, North Korea unless the north koreans were brought to the negotiating table and signed an armistice agreement and it was under that pressure that the chinese leadership we can't prove it but i believe the chinese leadership pressured the north koreans to negotiate they were convinced that the u.s was going to drop nuclear bombs all over china they obviously were going to do anything they could to avoid that and so that's how the 1953 July 27th, 1953 Armistice Agreement that ended the fighting in, North, in the Korean Peninsula came to be. Anyway, this discussion with John Bellamy Foster takes us back to that era where the U.S. had nuclear primacy and the goal now of the United States is to achieve it once again. So that explains the cancellation of the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty in 2002 the cancellation of the INF Treaty in 2019, the cancellation of the Open Skies Treaty, and of course, most importantly, perhaps the reorientation of U.S. military doctrine in 2018 with the Pentagon's quadrennial report that identified major power conflict as the new top priority for U.S. war makers. So I hope people really listen to the show. It's based on an article that was the front page of Monthly Review called Notes on Exterminism, a sort of a message to the peace and ecology movements of the 21st century. John Bellamy Foster picks up on a very famous paper written by British Marxist E.P. Thompson back in the 80s. He has some differences with it, but Monthly Review, I believe, published that as well. Anyway, I thought it was an important program. And of course, it's thematically in keeping with where, we, where we've been going with the socialist program and what we believe is really happening, which is that the US doesn't wanna end the war. Henry Kissinger, uh, one mild New York Times editorial, there's a couple voices urging restraint, but they're outlier voices and they're basically being marginalized. So, you know, in the 60s or the 50s, we had doves and hawks, the doves are dead. The hawks of the 60s and 70s are now the realists of the 2022 period, and they're marginalized. And the new consensus that has emerged, including from the Democratic Party and the people who think of themselves as liberals, is 100% for this new consensus position that the US must be able to defeat Russia and China. A fantasy, I mean, the US didn't defeat the Taliban, but now they're gonna defeat Russia and China. Anyway, dangerous thinking, hubris, arrogance, and the driver's
1: seat in U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, OK, so let's start off by talking about Ukraine. Let's just pick up on that thread. We have a question from Sunil Freeman. On a short term, the U.S. seems to have benefited from the Ukraine war by getting most European countries to unite against Russia, even against the best interests of the people in Europe ending the possibility of Nord Stream 2, bringing Germany and Russia closer, among other things. But in the long term, Russia and China have grown closer. Much of the rest of the world is continuing trade with Russia in defiance of US domains, and alternatives to the dollar for global trade are increasing. In the long term, doesn't all this probably severely damage the US empire around the globe, especially after all the US propaganda about the war eventually starts to fall apart, as seems to be starting to happen. Sunil says, on a side note, I can't stand Narendra Modi, but it sure was good to see India tell the US to go to hell on this.
0: Yeah, very interesting, right, about India. And very, very important. So I think we don't know yet. I mean, I would say I start from a fairly cautious point of view in terms of assessment. And of course, rooted in materialism and recognizing that we don't, nobody knows how things will play out. It's not completely knowable. But if you look at the first stage of the war, the US feels much stronger and much bolder now. And they've eliminated the skepticism that was a very real part of Europe, the European body politic about NATO expansion. And, They've overcome that for the time being. That's huge because the whole point of NATO expansion was for the US to retain domination over Europe. I mean, that's the goal. As long as the European countries are in NATO and NATO is so completely dominated by the US, they're under the control of the United States. And so I think Russia's special military operation, the invasion of Ukraine, allow the US to achieve a really, what seemed to be a very hard to achieve goal, which is overcoming this kind of skepticism in Europe. And Europeans of course are more anti-war because they've experienced so many wars directly on their own soil. So now that's huge. Russia has not been devastated. Andre put in the chat at the beginning of the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Jen announced, we have basically crushed Russian economy today. The ruble seems to be getting stronger every day. Europe, on the other hand, is facing soaring energy prices and a recession or worse. So maybe Jen Psaki should have said, we got the Europeans to crush their own economies. Touché. Realizing that people don't always do what is in their best interest, it is still puzzling to watch Schultz, the new leader in Germany, Macron, et cetera, throw themselves And their economies under the bus. Yeah, so let's look at these two things Sunil's question and what Andre said at the same time. It's going to make things a lot worse in Europe for Europeans. It's also, I think, going to really damage Biden. Biden is already a wounded beast politically, I mean, for good reason. But, you know, inflation is high. Gas prices are very, you know, they've almost doubled since Biden became president. If so-called Americans spend money, you know, beyond regional differences, it's about putting gas in the gas tank that really, in many ways, is a unifier. I don't see how this works out for Biden in the short term at all. There's no big bump that he's getting because he's a wartime leader or, or something like that. So I think it has weakened this whole trajectory as Biden is weakening. The European people, the peoples of Europe are going to be worse off. That means there may be more capitalist instability in Europe. But um, I think that one of the real problems is what will this mean for China? That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support.